Hi, I'm Renee Summer, our digital news anchor here at 7 at 7. Watch our streaming nonstop newscast immediately with your mobile phone. 7 at 7 is the new way for you to get every bit of local news you need in just seven minutes. Breaking news, local neighborhood news, weather and sports are just a click away. Reporters bring you all of what's happening in the Valley from Roku, Amazon Fire, Apple TV, YouTube and more. Get every bit of local news you need from the RJ and LVRJ.com. is up hockey fans this is the golden edge podcast the podcast for the las vegas review journal talks about hockey and we're going to continue talking about hockey a little while longer based off of the events of tonight i am ben goats one of your golden knights beat writers for the review journal joining me on the other line is my colleague david shane who uh as 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 i did as well uh just Got out of T-Mobile Arena after watching Game 6 between the Golden Knights and Colorado, Colorado Avalanche. Dave, as you can already tell, I'm a little bit loopy and I'm not forming sentences very well, but how are you? About the same, but probably uh, thankful that I don't have to jump on a plane tomorrow and uh, head out to Denver. I'm sure the Knights feel the same way. So, you know, a couple days rest here and uh, then we uh, get going with the, the classic... The all-time matchup between the uh, two best teams in the uh, in the history of the NHL, according to uh, points percentage. So, looking forward to it. Hey, there you go. That's quite a tease. But yes, uh, the Golden Knights do not have to travel anywhere, which means uh, we don't have to travel anywhere. Which means my uh, lovely girlfriend and dog will actually get to like be reintroduced to me for the first time in a couple weeks uh, because the Golden Knights have closed out. Their second round series against the Colorado Avalanche in six games. The Knights are now in the NHL semifinals for the third time in four seasons where they will take on the Montreal Canadiens. We will talk to you guys all about how the Knights managed to get this far in the postseason and defeat an opponent that they entered uh, the series as an underdog. Uh, but first, I want to remind everyone that... The Golden Edge podcast is presented by the Las Vegas Review Journal and Blue Wire. Also, if you guys check out all our written work at ReviewJournal.com, that would be great. We have so much coverage coming off of Game 6 tonight. Dave's game story, our colleague Ed Graney wrote a lovely column. I put up a preview of the Canadian series, and our colleague Mark Anderson took the Avalanche side uh, because obviously... Uh, this loss is going to lead to some soul-searching for the Colorado Avalanche moving forward after they won the President's Trophy for the best regular season record in the NHL this year. But the Knights defeated them. They finished off the series with a 6-3 win at T-Mobile Arena on Thursday night, which is when we're recording right now, to give them four straight wins over the Avalanche, who had not lost four straight all season. Uh, Dave, I believe the last time we got together to record, the Knights had just gotten kind of humiliated in game one of this series with a 7-1 loss in Denver. And then they lost in overtime in game two to go down 2-0 in a playoff series for the first time in franchise history. Now we're sitting here and 
They have won the series without even having to go back to Colorado for a game seven. How did the Knights manage to pull this one off? Well, I would say they have to thank uh, the governor, apparently, as Pete DeBoer did, for making sure that they had 18,000 folks uh, in T-Mobile Arena for games three, four, and six. And then, uh, I guess, I don't know, maybe Pete DeBoer deserves some uh, credit for lobbying the refs a little bit after uh, the game two loss and calling that a soft call and, you know, sort of intimating that they uh, they were embellishing some calls and the, the referees had been fooled after that. Uh, seemed to be suddenly that the Knights were staying out of the penalty box and uh, not giving the Avalanche as many chances on the power play. Obviously, in, in Game 6 tonight, they scored a, a big power play goal, Miko Rantanen, on a, on a nice move across the middle, and it looked like the puck kind of deflected off Zach Whitecloud's skate. But, you know, I mean, I'm trying to be a little bit funny about this, and, I mean, without getting into, like like, all the X's and O's of it, and whatever, and I mean, we can talk about what they do to the neutral zone and how they freed up Alex Tuck to just kind of hunt pucks on the back check and use his speed. And they match lines against Nathan McKinnon, shut him down for three straight games. Excuse me, without you know allowing the Hart Trophy finalists to even have a point. Obviously, he was effective tonight uh, as we record this in Game Six. Set up that first goal twenty three seconds in and had a second to assist as things went along as well. But, you know, the Knights were able to limit what the uh, what the Avalanche were doing, you know, clogging the neutral zone, and, and really exposed them a little bit in terms of being, you know, sort of a one-line team and one-dimensional a little bit. And, yes, as good as the Avalanche defense is and as mobile as they are, as effective as Kale McCarr is, you know, we didn't see him – throwing up a four-point game like he did, you know, in game one. You saw him make, you know, a move around somebody at the blue line, and then all of a sudden the Golden Knights would collapse all over him. I mean, it was like watching, you know, a point guard penetrate and then, you know, a defense sort of just pack the middle and, and not allow him to do anything. It was really obvious, you know, where the targets were for the Knights as the series went along, and, you know, maybe credit to Pete DeBoer for – some of the adjustments and, and some of the other guys who stepped up. Game six, it was depth. You know, guys like Keegan Colasar, Nick Holden. Throughout the series, it was the secondary or the second line, the misfit line, where Jonathan Marcheseau has a hat trick. You know, Riley Smith comes up with a big goal. William Carlson, does anybody know this? William Carlson is leading the team in points in the postseason. So, you know, they did it from everybody. It, it was a it was, you know, a full 18 plus you know, in terms of the roster that that was effective and, and had this going on in terms of, you know, Ryan Reeves going in, King Colasar coming in, coming out, you know, Patrick Brown, Nick Holden, Nick Haig. Like, Pete Board punched all the right buttons in the series, used everybody that he could, and, you know, that's, that's a big, long laundry list of reasons. But, you know, it took all that to, to beat a team that was the President's Trophy and or winner and, you know, that everybody thought was – Apparently better than Tampa Bay. Well, I, I personally didn't, but you know, as as Pete DeBoer pointed out, the analytics showed that this was a pretty historically good Colorado team that they won four straight against. Yeah, I think what you hit on there, uh, which is very true, of like this was basically 
you know, it's kind of a cliche, but this was a team win for the Golden Knights where a lot of things went well for a lot of guys. And obviously, you know, when that happens, it kind of sounds easy and simple, but that's how you're going to have success. If most guys on your team are going, uh, that's obviously a very good sign for you. And the Avalanche didn't have everyone going at the same time. And they struggled to get, as you mentioned, more than kind of one line going at the same time. And so, you know, that was really tough on them. And the Knights did a very good job defending their top guys. I mean, we have to commend, as you pointed out, um, especially when the Knights had last change at home, they put the Patrick Stone and Stevenson line out against McKinnon's line at five on five, basically all the time. And between games uh, two through five, uh, McKinnon did not have a single point at five on five. His only assist in that time uh, was in game two, and that came on the power play in overtime. And then, as you mentioned, you know, one thing that was also key to that is when, you know, the Knights do that, they put their top line on the Avalanche's top line. You run the risk of, you know, those two lines kind of canceling each other out and you have to win in other ways down the lineup. Well, the Misfit line, the second line definitely did that because, uh, as you pointed out, William Carlson had an incredible series with seven points. Uh, Jonathan Marchessault also had seven points, including a hat trick in game four. And Riley Smith had four. So while, you know, kind of the Knights top line was picking up a lot of the defensive effort in this series, the Misfit line stepped right in and picked up the scoring slack, which was absolutely huge. And then, as you mentioned, uh, tonight, the Knights got contributions from everybody to close this series out in terms of uh, five of their defensemen got at least a point, uh, 12 of their skaters got at least a point, And that's not including guys like uh, Stevenson stone and Mark stone. Uh, the Knights got uh, two fourth line goals from Keegan Colasar and William Carrier. And, you know, just to go through some of the guys, the Knights, you know, did use in this series. I mean, Patrick Brown had a goal. Dylan Sakura played for a little bit because Matias Yanmark was hurt for or during game one and didn't come back until game six. Uh, Nick Hagen, Nick Holden traded spots on the blue line. I mean, the Knights really did kind of roll through basically almost all the tools at their disposal. And basically any guy they put in seemed to end up faring pretty well, Dave. Yeah, which is what you need in the playoffs. It's interesting. I was talking to somebody about this and it's just, it's like the, the opposite or a 180 degree turn from the series against Dallas last year in the bubble where the Knights seem to be kind of in these close games and gripping their stick tight and not comfortable. They weren't getting a bounce. They weren't able to crack Anton Hudobin. Everything just seemed to kind of get in their head mentally about, you know, the situation, the expectations, the pressure, you know, whatever it might've been. And they, and they didn't live up to it. And in this series, going down to nothing and just being like, okay, so what? We're going to go home. And like Mark Stone said, we're going to hold serve. And we're going to come back and we're going to play a game five here when it's, you know, 2-2. Two, two. And, you know, they went on to win that game. Game five, they just seemed so much more comfortable, even down to nothing in that game. You know, no panic. They just seemed like as soon as we get the one goal, we're going to be right back in this. All the pressure is going to be on Colorado, and we're going to be fine. And that's exactly what happened. Alex Tuck scored. You know, then they got the tying goal, and and obviously, you know, we're able to snag it quick in overtime. 
you know, and even even tonight in game six, I thought some of the experience and just, you know, their resolve showed through. It, it, it was very fascinating and very interesting to hear the questions that were being asked of the Avalanche after the game in terms of they've been a team knocking on the door that's close. What is it going to take to, you know, have them break through or whatever? And one of the things I think is just going through a situation like that, you know, you, you have to learn from it. The Knights learned from it, you know, two years ago against San Jose and, and even last year in the bubble. And I thought they were really able to apply that into the series. It, like you talked about the line matching and, and all of that. It, it was a very different series than the one against Minnesota. And the fact that Colorado didn't have a specific shutdown line the way that Minnesota does. I just think the chess match was so much different. It was such a better and more favorable matchup for the Knights. It's not to say that Colorado is a worse team than Minnesota or anything like that. I just think the Knights had a different confidence about facing that team, knowing how they had to play against them, what they could do against them. And it seemed like once they found their legs and were able to grow into the series, you know, we saw the result. I, I didn't think they went four straight. Obviously, Colorado hadn't lost four straight all year. But kudos to the Knights for, for getting it done that way and, you know, not putting themselves in a situation where they had to go back and try to win a game seven. Yeah, the Knights were four and four against Colorado in the regular season. So they were clearly comfortable in the matchup. And it showed. And, you know, I think quick we should talk about and uh, Mark Stone mentioned it after the series win tonight. I mean, this Colorado team did win the president's trophy for the most points in the regular season or they're actually tied with the Knights, but uh, earned a tiebreaker based on regulation wins, which is why they, you know, ultimately won the West Division, won the president's trophy and had home ice advantage in this series. I mean, they had Nathan McKinnon, who is a Hart Trophy finalist, so he's a finalist for the League MVP award. They have Kale McCarr, who is a finalist for the Norris Trophy, which goes to the top defenseman in the league. And their goaltender is Philip Grubauer, who is a Vesna finalist for the best goalie in the league. And the Knights beat them in six games. So, I mean, Dave, just stepping back a little bit, and it's hard to step back given that we've had, you know, a couple hours to uh, process this win for the Golden Knights. How impressive of an accomplishment ultimately was this win? And I know it comes basically around earlier, but does this trump uh, the Knights win against the Winnipeg Jets in the Western Conference final in year one as kind of the, you know, most impressive playoff series win in the franchise's history? Sure. I think so. I mean, I guess Winnipeg was like a hundred and, I think 14 point team uh, in that regular season. That was, uh, if I remember right, five more than the, the Knights. Knights were a 109 point team that year. I mean, obviously the schedule was different, and you know whatever 56 games paced out at you know 82 points. You know whatever Avalanche would have been, <clears throat> excuse me, probably would have been ahead of that, um, or at least pretty darn close to to what the Jets did, but. Like, look, I don't want to discount it, too, you know, or anything like that. It's, I think it was the best team that they faced. But, you know, I also heard some people that seem to be building up the avalanche into some, like, 
you know, juggernaut team. And like the reality is they haven't even won a Stanley Cup. They haven't advanced past, I believe, the second round, you know, in the last handful of years or whatever. They're still kind of like coming into their window and, and in their own here. And I think that's where, again, the experience and, you know, the depth, it, it's not always like it's impressive. Yeah, you have an MVP candidate and a Vezina Trophy guy and a guy on defense who is going to be a Norris Trophy candidate for the next decade, probably. But, you know, there's 15 other guys on there. We talked about, you know, early on in the series, the the problems that the Avalanche are having on the fourth line. And until they got a couple guys back, Logan O'Connor, and were able to slot him on the third and bump Don Scoy down to the fourth, and, you know, like they had some issues. This wasn't like the greatest team ever or something like that. That being said, I'll, re- I'll repeat myself that it's the best team I think the Knights have faced in the playoffs to be down to nothing against them, backs against the wall, and to come back and win four straight. I, I don't know that there's anything more impressive that they've done in the postseason. I just want to temper a little bit this this notion that, you know, the Avalanche are some kind of, you know, like historic or generationally good team. They're extremely good and exceptionally talented. But, you know, I'm going to put myself into Pete DeBoer's shoes here for a second and kind of do his game one act of, you know, look, the Knights won 40 games during the regular season. They all, they, that was the, oh, they were the only team to do that. They tied the Avalanche for points and only lost the President's Trophy, you know, on, you know, a tiebreaker. So the Rodney Dangerfield act that the Knights are some like, you know, little team, you know, whatever that, that David Goliath and beat the mighty Avalanche. Like, I'm not going to quite buy that either. This is a really, really, really good Knights team. We're going to talk about the the Canadians here and the path all of a sudden seems a heck of a lot easier, you know, to get to a Stanley Cup final. Clearly, the Avalanche were the biggest hurdle in the way of the Golden Knights to that. But, you know, again, like the Knights are not chopped liver here. Like they're an exceptional team as well. So for them to beat the Avalanche, while it's a little bit surprising and, and Pete Boris says, you know, nobody in the hockey world predicted that they would win four straight after being down two nothing. And yeah, probably true. But, you know, th- this isn't some like 500 Knights team that just like struggled to get into the back door here. This is a team that was built to win now. It was a Stanley Cup or bust mentality. And, you know, they they got over the hump. Your time is valuable, so we've built a seven-minute non-stop newscast that fits into your daily routine. I'm Jen Ah. 7 at 7 keeps you informed anytime, anywhere. Look for top stories, weather, sports and sports betting, business, lifestyle and entertainment. Get every bit of local news you need in 7 minutes. Watch 7 at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Streaming nonstop 24-7 from the Las Vegas Review Journal on your mobile or smart TV. Absolutely, and it's fair to point out that Colorado was also missing its second-line center, Nazem Kadri, for the entirety of this series because he was suspended for an illegal check to the head. He would have been eligible to come back if there was a Game 7, but there will not be. Instead, as Dave mentioned, the Golden Knights are moving on to face the uh, Montreal Canadiens. 
Game one of the series will be on Monday at T-Mobile Arena. So the Knights have a little bit of a break here. The Canadians have had a huge break because they swept their second round series against the Winnipeg Jets. They have won seven straight games after falling behind 3-1 in their first round series against the Toronto Maple Leafs. They have not trailed in that time. They have not trailed in uh, basically almost 438 minutes of game action, uh, which is crazy. And uh, what's really fascinating about this matchup is Dave kind of hit it off the top. I mean, this is, you know, the Canadians are basically the standard bearer for success in the NHL. They've won a record 24 Stanley Cups. They've been to the final an additional 10 times. And so if you add all that up, the fact that the the Canadians have uh, won or been to a final 34 times, and then you compare that to the Knights history, which is, yeah, they have 36 playoff wins in their entire history so far it's crazy it's crazy that these two teams are uh meeting and we'll see how it goes but this is is kind of a david and goliath story but ironically the canadians are actually david in this story i mean already our uh betting columnist at the uh, review journal todd Dewey, who does a great job has posted that the golden knights are the Biggest favorites in Stanley Cup semifinal history because the Canadians kind of snuck backdoor into the playoffs this year uh, because they had a mediocre regular season and kind of squeezed in because uh, the Canadian division, the North division, wasn't so good. And as Dave just mentioned, uh, the Knights are very good and they're obviously the highest uh, seeded team remaining. They will have home ice advantage throughout the rest of the postseason in the semifinal and Stanley Cup final if they were to advance. So as you mentioned, Dave, you know, this is not the toughest draw the Knights could have uh, faced uh, heading into the postseason. Uh, What do you think of Montreal and what kind of challenges they're ultimately going to provide for uh, the Knights? Hard to say because I didn't see him much this year. I mean, it's a young team. Uh, Obviously, you know, guys like, Nick Suzuki, Hakaniemi, um, you know, they made some moves in the offseason. Tyler Toffoli and Josh Anderson. And obviously, Carey Price is is sort of the marquee name, you know, in goal and, and the guy that, you know, everybody, I think, sort of, you know, maybe not like last hurrah or last chance, but I I think everybody around that organization and, and in that city maybe feels like this is, you know, the, the chance for him to, to make a run in the postseason. It's sort of the one thing that that's been missing from his career, certainly a Stanley cup and, and really even a consistent deep run, you know, in the postseason. there's a lot of pieces there to like, it's just, when you look at it kind of man for man, player for player, I mean, on paper, the Knights are so much better, so much deeper. Um, There's some intangibles, I think, at work here and certainly if Carey Price gets hot that's sort of an x factor in all this you know you ask most of the players in the NHL and they feel like you know Carey Price at his peak is the best goaltender in the league or maybe even the world so that's going to be a factor especially if he's playing well I feel I feel like there's a little bit of an edge for the Knights to have a few excuse me a few days off here and to sort of cool the Canadians off, I think that there was a lot of momentum, a lot of 
sort of, you know, good vibes, if, if we'll use that phrase that we're going on after, you know, the Canadians rallied against Toronto. Um, and then, you know, obviously the hit early on in that series, you know, from Mark Shifley on, on Evans, I think really became a rallying point for the Canadians. And then I'm going to throw in my, my little plug here for, for the Wisconsin Badgers and sort of the element that Cole Caulfield brings to them. And, and really actually more than that is just the energy and sort of the, you know, the youthful excitement that, that I think he's added to that locker room and, and what that's brought to them, especially since he's been inserted in, into the lineup on a, on a consistent basis here. He didn't start the playoffs, you know, on the ice for the Canadians. It was, I think, sort of a watch and learn a little bit and then let's go with it. But it's, it's a very different team than I think they'll face you know, compared to the, to Colorado. I think the interesting dynamic though, as we go along here is Philip Deneau. And as a, as a shutdown guy, as a Selkie candidate at center, how is he going to factor in with this in terms of, you know, compared to like Minnesota and Erickson Eck and are the Knights going to have problems if he's able to contain Stevenson and Stone and Pacioretty in that line? Yeah. So that's the, interesting part of this series is I think Montreal sets up quite a bit like Minnesota. Now, will they play exactly like the wild? Who's to say, because as we both kind of mentioned, we haven't seen them play. We for sure haven't seen them play in person, obviously. And we definitely haven't seen them play the Knights this year. So this kind of third round has this added air of mystery about it because these are fresh matchups for everyone. Uh, but the Canadians do have a first line that's kind of more like a checking line, just like the Wildhead, where, as Dave mentioned, uh, Philip Noah center is a very good defensive forward. A right wing, Brendan Gallagher on that line is a really key piece for that team. And so the Canadians kind of try to match those guys up against opposing top lines, have them, you know, shut the opponent down, and then they'll use Suzuki who is a, of course, former Knights draft pick, 13th overall in 2017, the Knights inaugural draft, who they traded to the Canadians in exchange for Max Pacioretty, uh, along with Tomas Tatar and a second round pick. Um, and he's been become a very effective second line center for Montreal. And uh, left wing Tyler Toffoli, who's on this line, was seventh in goals in the regular season in the NHL with 28. And then, of course, there's a Caulfield, who Dave mentioned, who won the Hobie Baker Award for Best Collegiate Player this season at a university, which I will not name. Um, and then the Canadians just have solid depth after that. I mean, Dave mentioned uh, Josh Anderson is kind of a third line power forward type. He's a good goal scorer. We've got re really solid vets like Eric Stahl and Corey Perry on their fourth line. Knights fans probably remember Corey Perry being a depth guy on the Dallas Stars team that eliminated them last year. And then it's kind of the same story on the blue line where it's like a bunch of solid guys where Shea Weber's obviously been a very good player for a really long time. Same with Ben Sherratt, uh, Jeff Petrie's a really good offensive defenseman had a really strong year this year. There's just basically a bunch of uh, guys on the Canadians who I think you would be very excited if you were a GM to have them on your team, but you wouldn't be ecstatic i mean there's a lot of quality guys a lot of guys that like i said i think you know coaches fans would be very happy to root for and have you know fit into their team on certain roles but there's not like 
that many game-breaking stars. And the one guy that you mentioned, Dave, that can be kind of that is, is Carey Price. I mean, he's got a Vezina trophy. He's finished in the top 10 of the voting uh, seven times in his career. He's one of the few goalies. He's only one of eight goalies in NHL history that's actually won the Hart Trophy for NHL MVP. So he's the real uh, one key factor that could swing the series toward Montreal. He's having a great postseason. He's got a 935 save percentage, a, a 1.97 goals against average. He's been really good. And one thing that was interesting about this series against the Avalanche, the Knights have talked about, you know what? We felt like we needed to find different ways to score because we didn't do that against the Dallas, Dallas Stars last postseason. It feels like, you know, they did discover those new ways to score and it showed against the Avalanche. But now that's kind of going to get put to the ultimate test in front of a goaltender who is very, very good. Yeah, I just don't know how good the, you know, the the system and the the players are in front of him, and whether they're going to be able to hold up, you know, against the Knights' skill. I think this is going to be. I think here's the thing I'll say about it. I think the one thing going into especially Game One that Montreal might have an advantage with is just the element of surprise. And I don't know that the Knights are going to, you know, think they'll have an idea and you can watch film and see how hard a team plays, you know, how gritty they are, uh, the way that they're relentless and things like that. But until you actually see how fast it's coming at you and sort of the constant pressure and and you, until you feel it and see it, you don't really know. And I think there's going to be a little bit of an adjustment period. For the Knights, I, I think that's maybe the one area of just who's going to outwork who. And if the Canadians can consistently outwork the Knights, then maybe that takes away some of the elements of skill. But, you know, the, in a lot of ways, the, the roles are going to be reversed here. The Knights are not going to, like, worry about dumping the puck in and playing, like, heavy and clogging up the neutral zone. But I, I feel all the stuff that we talked about in, in the Colorado series, a lot of it's going to be out the window, and it's going to be the onus is on the Knights to sort of set the tempo and be the team that's pushing the pace and maybe trying to, you know, open the game up, get it, you know, high, a little more high scoring, create some chances off the rush and do those sorts of things. They're not going to want to sit back and try to win games 3-2 and 2-1 and do all the things that they did against Colorado. It, it, it's almost going to be Montreal is going to have to do that to the night. So, so as these teams go along and sort of the adjustment and sort of the game plan going into the series, I think will be interesting from the coaches and, and how they approach it. Yeah, I think that'll be very interesting. And then a fascinating dynamic of this series will just be uh, the fan and kind of, uh, I guess, just day-to-day -day lifestyle aspect of it. You know, the Canadians, because Canada is having a you know much harder time with its getting, you know, vaccines distributed right now compared to the U.S., uh, things are still in a, you know, much more kind of lockdown state up there. So there's only, uh, you know, 2,500 people allowed at the Bell Center for the Canadians right now. So compared to a, you know, sold out building at T-Mobile Arena, that's going to be an extreme change 
for the Canadians to play in that kind of environment in games one and two, just like it'll be an extreme change for the Knights to go back up to Montreal for games three and four and play games in a not very full building at all. And um, the Knights, you know, will be able to go to Montreal. That was something that the NHL and uh, the Canadian government were kind of haggling over in recent weeks and months. And, you know, basically teams are going to be allowed to kind of go back and forth, uh, you know, around the Canadian border and not have to do the mandatory 14 day quarantine that is still in place. But uh, teams are basically going to be on lockdown once they actually do get up into Canada. So the Knights are going to basically be going to the rink, their hotel rooms, and that's it. It's going to be very similar to kind of how things were earlier in the year before, you know, the protocols have been loosened for the playoffs for, you know, fully vaccinated players. That's going to be interesting to see how the Knights kind of adjust to kind of stepping back in time a little bit because they kind of left you know, the lack of fans and the lack of, you know, freedom on the road a little bit behind. And now because things are more strict in Canada, they're going to be pushed right back into that world. Just like the Canadians are kind of going to be pushed forward in time where they're all of a sudden going to have to deal with a very, very hostile crowd they have not dealt with all season. It'll be interesting to see how both sides handle the uniqueness of just this round. You know who's Dave? excited about only having 2,500 people in Montreal, though, don't you? Who? Max Pacioretty. It's <laughs> a good one. Yeah, well, you know, if there was a full building, I think the uh, booze would be ringing out in his ears, and this way he's only got, you know, a few thousand doing it. Because that's going to be a very interesting dynamic in this series. I don't know how much we talked about that, but Max Pacioretty returning to Montreal – in the playoffs with a Stanley, you know, a trip to the Stanley Cup finals on the line. <laughs> yeah, I think there's some I think there's some people in Montreal who uh, who don't mind that matchup. Yes, yeah, so those people uh, that don't remember and we've already talked about uh, Patrick in regards to uh, the trade that sent him to the Golden Knights before the Golden Knights second season, Nick Suzuki, Tomas Tatar and a second round pick. Going the other way. Uh, before that happened, Pacioretty was a first-round pick of the Canadians. He kind of grew up in the organization. He played uh, 10 NHL seasons with the franchise, uh, including three as its captain. And it was a very big deal that Pacioretty was captain of the Montreal Canadiens. Obviously, for those that uh, don't know, you know, quite the specifics of Montreal, it's, you know, a French Canadian city where a lot of people speak English. Some people speak French. The fact that Patrick an American who spoke English was named the captain of, you know, the biggest team in French speaking Canada was a very big deal. And there was a lot of pressure on him. And, you know, I think we've talked about this on the podcast before going back years, the fact that he went to the Knights and then was not the captain I think was kind of a big relief to him that he could just kind of blend into the background as opposed to being the main face for one of the most uh, successful organizations in all of hockey. And now, uh, you know, I think you wrote about this uh, before, long before we knew that these two teams would meet in the postseason. Dave, you wrote before the playoffs even started that, man, this is a trade that has seemed to work out both sides in terms of the Knights got you know, a stud 
goal scorer in patch ready. He ranks uh, in the top 10 in goals scored over the last two years. Whereas the Canadians got multiple pieces to build around, including a young center in Nick Suzuki and brighter days appear to be ahead for the Canadians in terms of they have a good young nucleus to build around. But now the future might be now for Montreal. And, you know, while that trade looked like it was working out pretty okay for both teams in hindsight just a couple weeks ago, kind of feels like uh, whoever wins this series is going to have a lot more bragging rights when it comes to that deal moving forward. Yeah, probably. I mean, I think it's one of the rare cases where it probably work out for both teams. But it's kind of crazy to think how much the Knights gave up for uh, Max Pacioretty compared to what they gave up for Mark Stone. Nope, that was just... A second-round pick, uh, Eric Brandstrom, and uh, now I'm blanking on Oscar uh, Lindbergh, I believe, who is no longer in the NHL. And, of course, uh, the Knights signed Mark Stone to an extension. Right after that, they signed Max Pacioretty to an extension as well. It's crazy. It's crazy. It'll be uh, a fun, interesting, fascinating series. You know, as you mentioned, David, it'll be, I think, much different than the series we just witnessed the Golden Knights play against the Colorado Avalanche. And we'll see if it ends up being more like that Minnesota series. Uh, but we hope everyone sits back and enjoys the hockey because there will be uh, more of it happening in Las Vegas here moving forward. So we will sign off for now. Before we do that, just a quick reminder that the Golden Edge podcast is presented by the Las Vegas Review Journal and Blue Wire. Please check out all our written work at ReviewJournal.com. And if you guys could rate, review, subscribe, whatever you do to podcast, please do to this one. We would very much appreciate it. I'm Ben Goats. That's Dave Shane. We are the Golden Edge Podcast. Talk to you guys again real soon. One Hour Air Conditioning and Heating, our comfort specialist can handle any AC repair. Call 855-1-HOUR for $50 off your repair or visit OneHourAir.com. Always on time or you don't pay time. Terms and conditions may apply. Independently owned and operated, licensed in their respective state or county.